0: Please pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are able to gather together as your people to worship you. We ask that you would show us wonderful things out of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, have you ever tried to do something only to discover that for you it is completely and utterly impossible? I have had such experiences and the one that came to mind as I was preparing this was when I was in junior high and skateboarding was all the rage. And I had a skateboard and virtually every other boy in the neighborhood had a skateboard and in every spare moment that I had I was outside riding that thing. And One of the neighbor boys constructed a ramp. You may have seen the style of ramp that I'm talking about, it, it curves up, it's not just a straight ramp. And it was only about two feet off the ground, so it, it was not that intimidating. But the idea was that you find a straight stretch of road, put the ramp out there, and you get a good running start at it, and launch off the ramp, and the idea is that you land on the skateboard with both feet. <clears throat> it, it could be that I had one of those moments of what have I signed up for just before I hit the ramp Or it could be that I did not have pro gear. I had a a Kmart special for a a skateboard, but um, every other boy in the neighborhood was able to um, land safely either on their skateboard or on their feet. But as soon as I came up off the top of that ramp, my skateboard did a complete nosedive. And, you know, you know how you stop a skateboard, right? You use the, the tail of it. And I had ground that thing down to a fine edge. And so the nose of the skateboard went into the ground and my leg went into the fine edge of (laughs) a tail of that skateboard. So that was my first and last unsuccessful attempt at launching off of a skateboard ramp. For me, it was completely impossible. Well, in Exodus 24, God gave Moses something that was completely impossible for Israel and for us. God took Moses up onto Mount Sinai and gave him the law. Now, the law is not impossible because God makes or made any mistakes when he made us. The problem is not that we are only human, as you might hear people say. In fact, God tells us in Genesis 1.31 that he looked out over everything that he had made and he said it was very good. So God didn't make any mistakes But Adam sure did. And unfortunately, we inherit both the guilt of Adam's sin as well as the corruption of our nature. C.S. Lewis of Narnia fame, the author of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, he described our nature, thanks to Adam, as bent. That we are bent because of sin. We are bent towards sin. And we are bent in terms of preferring sin. So the law that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai was impossible for Israel and for us. Because of our sinfulness, thanks to Adam. We shouldn't be too hard on Adam, though. Because if you or I were in his shoes, we would have done exactly the same thing. So God gave the law to Moses. And it's easy to talk about the law in the abstract, just by using the phrase the law. And maybe when we talk about the law, we imagine some nice rules and some well behaved people. But maybe you learned the Ten Commandments in a confirmation class or in Sunday school. Did you know that almost 500 years ago, during the time of the Protestant Reformation, the Ten Commandments were built into the liturgy that Anglicans used for worship on Sundays? They were. So let's get back to our roots a bit and run through the Ten Commandments, shall we? The first commandment is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. But our hearts are perfect little idol factories, aren't they? And we're often more in love with ourselves than we are with God. The second commandment is, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And you know, just like Israel who formed that golden calf and called it Yahweh, they made that statue and didn't call it some strange God name, they called it the Lord. We also want to have a God who looks and acts like the gods that we see around us in our culture. The third commandment is, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. But even if we don't use God's name in an irreverent way, we still like to treat him like the great vending machine in the sky or the genie who we can conjure up for our pleasure and put him back in the the lamp when we're done. The fourth commandment is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. But even though God promises to meet with us in word and sacrament, How often do we skip church simply because we don't feel like it? The fifth commandment is honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. But especially for us Americans, it's so much more cool to rebel against authorities that God has placed in our lives. Not just parents, but bosses at work, and even government authorities. The sixth commandment is You shall not murder. But Jesus said that when we even hate someone in our heart or call that person a fool, we are guilty of murder. The seventh commandment is, you shall not commit adultery. But Jesus said that if we even just look at someone with lust in our hearts, we are guilty of committing adultery. The eighth commandment is, you shall not steal but when we don't return that thing that we borrowed or we tell our boss that we worked more time than we actually did, we're guilty of stealing. The ninth commandment is you shall not be a false witness against your neighbor. But when we tell that half-truth, that little white lie, or when we gossip or we give someone a bad name, or when we just plain fail to think the best about our neighbor when we fail to give our neighbor the benefit of the doubt we are giving we are, we are guilty of being a false witness against our neighbor and the 10th commandment is you shall not covet your neighbor's house you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's but we can't seem to be satisfied with anything can we Even if God gives us something really great, eventually we end up feeling like it's not quite as good as that one over there. So God took Moses up on Mount Sinai and gave him this law. And there was a cloud that covered the mountain. And the glory of the Lord and the cloud settled on the mountain and covered it for six days. And the appearance of the Lord was like a fire. But not just a fire, a devouring fire. What was God doing with all of that fire and cloud and glory? He was giving Israel and us a glimpse into what the final day of judgment will look like. This was the day of judgment in miniature, like a a diorama. And Israel got it. They understood. A few chapters before our Old Testament reading this morning in Exodus chapter 20, after Moses read the Ten Commandments to Israel for the first time and the people heard thunder and a trumpet and they saw flashes of lightning and smoke, they said, Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen. But don't let God speak to us or we will die. (laughs) This was the end of the world in miniature. So let me ask you, When the end of the world comes, what will you say when you stand before God to give an account for your life compared to His law? If that thought fills you with some fear and anxiety, then I am here to give you good news. God sent His eternal Son, His only begotten Son, to become one of us in order to save us. Jesus came to die on the cross in our place in order to be punished with the punishment that we deserve from God for our sins. And having our sins forgiven is wonderful news because it frees us from the guilt that we carry around with us because of our sins. But even with our sins forgiven, we still haven't actually done the things that God requires us to do in his law. In other words, having our disobedience forgiven still doesn't mean that we have obeyed God and done what he has required us to do. So if that leaves you still feeling a bit terrified and anxious about the day of judgment and what you will say when you stand before God, I have even more good news for you. The same Jesus who died in your place is the same Jesus who also obeyed the whole law in your place. See, the gospel reading for today is about Jesus getting a preview of his reward for his perfect obedience. Even though his mission was not yet complete in Matthew chapter 17, it was as good as complete. And the glory with which Jesus shone on the Mount of Transfiguration was a foretaste of the reward that he would receive at his resurrection, the ultimate reward for his perfect obedience. And the good news is that Jesus does not keep this reward for himself. He's not stingy with it. God counts Jesus' perfect obedience as your perfect obedience. The good news is that if you are trusting Christ alone to save you from your sins, then God considers you to be as perfectly righteous as Jesus is because he counts Jesus' obedience as your own obedience. Jesus is a perfect Savior and a complete Savior. And Jesus is your advocate, your defense attorney, so that when you do stand before God on the last day, you do not stand alone. You stand with Jesus. And Jesus stands before his Father as the one who has taken away your guilt on the cross and who has clothed you with his own righteousness, the very same righteousness that God demands of us in the law that he gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. Thank God for our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. let's stand together and